we need to start keeping track of funny names we talk about in in podcasts. Yeah. Like this is this is funny. Dude, yeah. <laughs> we should. We really should. Yeah, I'll go back to the episodes and figure it out. Okay, welcome to the Shallow Dive podcast where three university friends discuss random topics. Today we are talking about gangsters and criminals. So we already had an episode where we talked about criminal organizations, but this time we're looking at the actual criminals themselves. So should be should be good. Should be interesting. Should be interesting. Yeah. Who, uh, so who who want to go first? I think the old dunk man. Yep, I will go first. I will be talking about uh, Pablo Escobar. Uh, Pablo Escobar. I think Pablo Escobar. Like we were talking last week. The Black Plague is the plague of all plagues, and like Sas- the Bigfoot is the urban mystery of all mysteries. I think. Right, yeah, I think Pablo, Pablo Escobar, Escobar is probably the gangster of all gangster gangsters. All gangsters. <laughs> I mean, maybe Al Capone yeah. comes close, but I don't think so. Or like Blackbeard or something. Blackbeard. <laughs> I think that's. I don't think <laughs> Edward Teach. Uh, well, he's like a criminal, I guess, but it's not really yeah. the same. But, but yeah, as you said, like pa- Pablo is, it's kind of hard to talk about him just because his story is pretty widely known. And like, I don't think I can add or offer any new perspective on things. But I just, yeah, one of us had to talk about him this episode. Like, it would have been an injustice not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so Pablo Escobar was the wealthiest drug trafficker in history. He founded the Medellin Cartel, which was the most powerful criminal organization of its time. And he came from very uh, humble origins. He was born in Medellin, Colombia in 1949, Uh, came from an impoverished family. He received pretty minimal education and just didn't have a whole lot of opportunities growing up. Um, But one thing he showed interest in from a young age was being an entrepreneur of sorts. He had these little side hustles and businesses uh, to make money on the side. Like legal businesses? It started legal, like a bicycle repair business Uh, and things. But they quickly became more elaborate and more illegal. Uh, when, when he was a teenager, he would do this thing where he would go to, uh, cemeteries at night and steal tombstones and then he would, he would sandblast them to remove the inscriptions on the grave. So they would be blank. And then he would resell the tombstones to people. Shit. (laughs) A lot of work. That's wild though. Yeah. And he somehow was never caught for this, which is kind of surprising. You would think that'd be, like, suspicious. A random teenager has 20 tombstones in his backyard <laughs> assigning them to people. But that kind of just shows he had no moral compass whatsoever. Oh, yeah. It also shows just people don't visit their dead relatives enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, at night. People don't visit their dead relatives <laughs> at night enough. No, no, not at, no, not at night. But like when you go in, like on a Tuesday morning, and just be like, "Where's the tombstone? 
Where's yeah. my papa? And I just like, uh, better buy a tombstone from this kind teenager. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like a lot like the one that was stolen. You truly are a master, Mr. Pablo. Um, but yeah, he had these little schemes. He also started to meet like-minded people who were trying to make money in unsavory ways. And... Uh, sort of joined forces and together with other delinquents he would they would like steal cars and carry out robberies and do other illegal stuff um and it was around 1970 that he co-founded the medellin cartel crime group uh along with some other notable um, criminals like carlos later but pablo was at the helm he was the undisputed leader and by, like year by year the illegal activity became more extreme they started kidnapping people uh for ransom like wealthy and notable people in colombia kidnapping them and then demanding money or they would kill them so he was successful around this time but he was still more of a regional crime boss he he had some power and control in Medellin, but it was very like localized power and influence. But this all changed when a new illegal business began to grow in Colombia. Uh, can can you guys guess what that was? Cocaine. Cocaina. Is it? <laughs> Cocaina. Yeah. Nice. I said it with such confidence that if I was wrong, I was like, I'm cutting it off. If I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, it's actually human were... trafficking. It's not cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> no that comes later okay <laughs> so, so you were spot on cocaine it was already around but the production and sale of cocaine wasn't a big thing in Colombia until the 70s and there are a few reasons for this for one there was already a uh, drug trafficking route in South America that went through Chile but because of the military coup in 1973 the route was jeopardized and a new route was created that went through colombia instead and the other reason is that colombia is close to the largest producers of the coca plant so the andean countries of peru ecuador and bolivia so it was just easier for colombian criminals to produce large quantities of cocaine because it was so readily available nearby and there was a big resurgence in cocaine use during the 70s so, as well. Do you know if, I don't know, like, is cocaine, I just for some reason have this, like, perception that cocaine has been around for a long time. Maybe not as, like, refined. It has been a- around for quite a while, but this was, like, a n- new sort of powder cocaine. Okay, okay, and that only came around in the 70s. Well, it only became popular. Like, the leaves have been around forever. Yeah. Right, but the powder form of it, like, really kind of... It took off in in the 70s, yeah. Yeah. Well, it it had been used, like, medicinally before. Well, I mean, medicinally, Mm -hmm. (laughs) quote-unquote. Yeah, it was was around for sure, but it just didn't really become that popular until the 70s in terms of people using it in, you know, the United States and... Right. Places. But yeah, he Pablo set his sights on capitalizing on the drug trade and becoming a, a major trafficker because 
you know, if you can manage to traffic to the U.S., which is the biggest market, you're set because that's where all the all the money is, right? Right. So he um, conspired to assassinate this guy, Fabio Restrepo. He uh, he was smuggling cocaine into Miami, but Pablo sent the cartel to kill him and then basically just steal his business. And there was a bit of a power struggle between some other cartels and stuff like the Cali cartel in southern Colombia. But Medellin cartel established itself as the predominant uh, cocaine distributor in Colombia. And he started building a lot more cocaine labs and recruiting more people. But just as this was happening, he was arrested by the Colombian security services for a number of drug-related charges but pablo had so much influence that he was able to basically buy off the judges in the trial and they let him go even though there was so much evidence (laughs) that he was guilty they found like i don't even remember they found an insane amount of cocaine in the tires of one of his car but yeah just go ahead sir (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> move along just, sorry. Uh, go ahead and give me some money and you can go yeah oh yeah Th- which was his main method of dealing with law enforcement it was called money or lead which means either i pay you off and you mind your own business or we kill you so <laughs> very simple i wonder which one i would choose yeah it's a tough choice <laughs> yeah fuck so Pablo greatly increased the production of cocaine. And as I said, the United States was the main uh, market that he and other traffickers were targeting. So they expanded routes into the U.S. So now uh, the cocaine was being smuggled into other cities, not just Miami anymore. And he was able to do this by buying this island in the Bahamas called Norman's Cay. Uh, and they transformed it into a big trafficking hub with an airstrip and warehouses. And it was like a big distribution center. So what? So, so, and this is, and just like what nobody noticed. Well, I mean, the, there was definitely the people in the the Bahamas government. They, they were aware to some extent, but they were paid off. So, Cocaine is produced in Colombia, flown over to Norman's K. Then from there, it's flown into some area of the United States. And they were uh, like flying entire planes worth of cocaine into the U.S. Whereas before, cocaine was smuggled by drug mules, like people, you know, human drug mules. So the amount of cocaine that they were bringing in just was a lot more than before. That's crazy. Like a whole airplane load of cocaine just... Mm. Yeah, that's wild. Um, Weird little tidbit, but do you guys know Firefest? Nope. That music festival thing? No. Oh. Oh, Firefest. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't. Uh, Firefest was actually supposed to be held at Norman's K, but they changed it last minute. But I don't know. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Oh, damn. Yeah, that would have been sick. Yeah, that would have made it slightly cooler. Um, (laughs) At this point, though, they were sets. They were exporting tons of cocaine. 
They had drug trafficking routes set up. The Colombian government was in shambles and very corrupt, so they couldn't do anything. So there, there's just like nothing in their in their way, and the money just started to pour in. And Pablo's wealth around this time is it's it's incomprehensible. His net worth was thirty billion, which would Jesus. be seventy billion in today's dollars. Yeah, that's fucking wild. How much money is in one plane if it's full of cocaine? That's like gotta be like seven figures, right? Like, yeah, that's crazy. I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure, but yeah, not that, not that we would know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not too knowledgeable on <laughs> on the price of cocaine, that. like the the market price yeah. of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he would. Be let's say he had seventy billion today, that would place him in the twenty richest people in the world, which is crazy for yeah, you know, yeah, criminal. But yeah, these were like the golden years for the cartel. Seventy eight to nineteen eighty two, they were untouchable. They had so much money; it was just everything was going according to plan for them, and they had too much money. Even um, Pablo's brother said that around $2 billion had to be written off annually because rats would eat it while it was stored <laughs> away. What? They have a, they have a like, rat budget. Like, they have a rat-eating budget. Yeah. That's crazy. Mate, that's wild. And they would spend around 2500 a month just on rubber bands for all the cash. $2,500,000. Okay, yeah. Right, okay. But just on rubber bands. Yeah, that like, I <laughs> that's crazy. Um, so Pablo, you know, he was not the smartest fella. So he started buying a bunch of crazy properties everywhere, and just, I mean, he had so much money it didn't exactly matter. But he right. built built this house outside of Medellin and filled it with. Uh, he like he got a zoo <laughs> built on his property. And brought in exotic animals like hippos and zebras and stuff. He had he had a bullfighting arena built inside his property. He he becomes like like you know one of our one of the lost episodes that we have like the two dictators episodes. We talked about how like dictators have these like insane projects, like <laughs> insane construction, insane mansions and shit. It's like it's like he's pulling that shit off now. Yeah, he's just trying to have fun. Like, at a certain point, when you have that much money and that much power, it's like, I want this, I want that. I mean, you, you might do whatever the fuck you want. You have 70 or, you know, at that time, 30 billion. Who cares? <laughs> like, yeah, spend yeah, your seriously. money on whatever. They have a 2 billion rats right off budget. <laughs> That's crazy. Anyways. So he also put some money back into Medellin. And uh, was actually fairly liked by the locals because he was charitable and he invested in the community, helping poor and underprivileged groups, people that came from a similar background to him. And he was even referred to as the Robin Hood of Paisa uh, by some because, you know, stealing from the rich, giving to the poor kind of thing. Right. But... He was very polarizing. There are also people who saw him as an evil criminal who was responsible for death and destruction in the community. So, recently, like, because reading books and just working with dumb bosses, like, 
I realize just how useful it is to be likable. Like, if you're likable, you can be doing really bad stuff, and people will still be kind of okay with you. I mean, I I guess he was had some redeemable traits, but I mean, he was pretty yeah. not 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 like redeemable traits, but like he was uh, being he was likable. Like he, it doesn't it's like you're you're not like actually being nice, but you appear nice and appear likable. Like that kind of image well, really makes things run smoother. Mm. And also, like the the standard for politicians is pretty low in Colombia. Oh, like, yeah, especially at that time, <laughs> yeah. it's like they're really not getting much, you know. So Pablo comes in and he promises some stuff, and they're like, "Oh, okay. Well, I mean, he must be better than like the the, the mayor. Really, yeah. Like I don't know. It's it's <laughs> kind of like." It's like at least the corruption is in your face. <laughs> yeah, that's actually really interesting. You said that because Pablo Escobar entered politics in the early eighties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he became a this. member of the Colombian Congress uh, through, you know, bribes and threats and other things. Um, but he was eventually expelled from uh, the party. Because, you know, he was like a drug lord. Um, <laughs> and it started just like this long and bitter struggle between him and the Colombian government. He had a lot of influence, but there were equally as many people who were resisting him every step of the way. I just imagine like on the, like you're expelled at like that notice. And then like on the reason given it just because you're a drug lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, but Pablo really accelerated the um, the amount of uh, political opponents he was targeting. He started assassinating a bunch of politicians. And there was this, actually this massacre carried out at the Supreme Court in uh, Colombia by this guerrilla organization called M19. And they killed like a bunch of members of the Colombian Supreme Court. And it's alleged that Pablo partially financed it, which would really not be surprising. But the, the Colombian government was a total mess at this time, and Pablo was just thriving on this chaos. Damn. So the United States at this point wanted him to be captured and extradited to the States to face charges for drug trafficking. So the walls st- uh, started to close in on him a bit, and he continued to murder a lot of politicians. He killed this guy, Luis Carlos Galan. Ugh. Uh, I ap- you tried. <laughs> apologize to all of our Spanish, <laughs> Spanish-speaking listeners uh, for these pronunciations. No es bueno. Yeah. Um, so he, he killed that guy, or the cartel killed that guy. And then they targeted uh, Cesar Gavria, Cesar Gavria. <laughs> Uh, who was a presidential candidate who promised to crack down on the cartels or on the cartel. And Pablo responded by ordering them to plant a bomb uh, on a plane that he was taking and then to blow it up uh, mid-flight. So they went through with this insane plan and they just destroyed the plane. 107 people died. Also, they could kill this one guy. And the guy wasn't even on the flight. Oh, what? 
Jesus. That's... He missed it for security reasons. So he was possibly tipped off or something like that. But they blew Damn. up a passenger plane. And... Yeah. <laughs> like So that's not the best look. <laughs> yeah. And public opinion kind of changed too because you know it was one thing for the ordinary person it's like oh he's killing politicians and cartel like what do we care but if you start killing ordinary people yeah that's different yeah so the colombian government wanted to arrest him at this point but medellin and the neighborhood he lived in was like a fortress there like he had so many people working on his side so many corrupt law enforcement things like that it would be like putting the city on siege so they just they couldn't afford to do it pablo sort of saw that he was in a predicament and he said okay look i'll surrender myself to the authorities but the government has to promise to not extradite me to the united states which is like what is this guy is a criminal who is he to dictate the laws right however the Colombian government actually passed a, lo- a new law that made it so he couldn't be extradited to the U.S. They changed the constitution to prevent Fuck. him from being extradited to the U.S. That is, that's Damn. how desperate they were. That's yeah. to, to just not even end this shit, but like dial it down a bit. <laughs> yeah, and... Even worse, it's, it's like insulting, really. He was, he was sentenced to five years in prison, <laughs> which is nothing. And it's probably not yeah. even like prison, prison. Is it like probably home arrest ended up something like that? Not all, Yeah, you're actually <laughs> right. Because not only was it not... The famous prison. Yeah. He had a basically a prison custom built for himself. <laughs> it had a football pitch, hot tubs, a bar... It was like a mansion. Like he was in prison the way like Hitler was in prison, which is not really even more luxurious yeah. than that. <laughs> no, no, no. Like Hitler, Hitler was... decked out with TVs. Yeah, like Hitler wasn't living like luxury, luxury. When oh, he was in that prison. that that is true. That is true. Like this guy was was having <laughs> parties and shit. They bring hookers in. Like, sorry, Duncan, I don't want to hijack, but like Maradona showed up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like famous footballers and stuff, you'd pay them to come, as you mentioned, escorts would come in by like the truck Dennis load, Rodman. booze, drugs, partying. I don't know if Dennis Rodman made it. <laughs> I mean, that funny. Be... Um, oh, that would have been awesome if Dennis Rodman made it. That would be like the most Dennis Rodman thing ever. Exactly. He misses a practice for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to party with Pablo Escobar, boys. I'll be back. <sighs> Um, and his prison guards were literally members of the cartel. So yeah, that uh. should tell you a lot. And the Colombian government was concerned about this, obviously, but they found <laughs> out that Pablo captured and tortured two members of a rival cartel in prison. And they were like, okay, this, this enough is enough. We need to bring him to a, a real prison. Um, that is so silly, man. <laughs> but he was tipped off about the plan and escaped. But yeah, escaped. Like he walked out probably. <laughs> um, he went into hiding in July of 1992 and was being pursued by the Colombian and American governments. And 
he went totally crazy at this point. He built up a private army, which he used to target his opponents and protect his himself and his family. And he was able to avoid detection until December of 1993, when he was located by the Colombian Security Services and was killed in a shootout uh, at a safe house in Medellin. At this point, the cartel unraveled. There was a power vacuum, but the government cracked down and the Medellin cartel is no more. But he left behind a very polarizing image because for his funeral in Medellin, 25,000 people attended. What? Like there were a lot of people who generally were mourning his loss and saw him as like this tragic hero. I don't know about that one, but that's what, you know, how some people felt. And how, is it like, like that shit to live in Colombia that the person you look up to is a drug lord? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think at that, at that time. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like poverty there is fucked. I would say maybe like Pablo's probably like the most influential person on one country that isn't or hasn't been a politician. Or mm. like a serving politician. Because I can't really think of anyone else, man. He he literally ran that country. Like no one really knew what, like where Colombia was. Like he, he totally put Colombia on the <laughs> map, you know, which is like a weird thing to say. But That's what I've heard from a lot of Colombians is a lot of people resent him because they feel like he's like tarnished the image of the country, right? Because people think of Colombia, yeah, like, oh, sure. Pablo Escobar. Yeah, I cannot name a a, a second Colombian. I, I cannot name another Colombian. I, literally, I can only name soccer players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, I was just going to say that, too. Uh, wait, is Shakira Colombian or Venezuelan? Yeah, no, she is Colombian. Oh, okay. That's well, true. there's one. <laughs> but, yeah, his legacy is very divisive. In Colombia, still today, some people defend him. Other people see him as a thug. I think, I don't know, the downing of the plane really seals things for me. Like, it made it pretty apparent he didn't kill, care about like who he had to kill. Yeah. To be successful. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant by like putting up the front of like you're a good guy. Yeah. It's yeah. all just bullshit. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's like a classic rags to riches back to regs kind of story i guess yep right yeah or if you want to i don't know what i would call it but still like i mean he died not of natural cause yeah so so that's like a very i don't know most criminals like in this bis- in this business yeah it's like a fitting fitting end mm-hmm. but uh yeah that is pablo escobar so seth all right so have you guys uh have you guys heard of the Cray twins? What? No. I think is there a movie about them? Yeah, it's got Tom Hardy. Yeah. I, I've I've kinda of, I've just seen like a bit of it, but I don't really know anything. Like I wasn't really paying attention, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So really good movie. Uh it's like fairly accurate. Uh it's called Legend and Tom Hardy plays both of them. Uh Tom Hardy's a great actor in my opinion but <laughs> yeah so uh the cray twins they were raised on the rough streets of east london uh and they were big fellas like really big lads and 
kind of pretty fucking ugly. You got like big old ears, like really big noses, and they're identical twins too. So they they look like exactly alike, right? Just some good uh, old English lads, equally ugly. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not <laughs> Holy good fuck. looking fellas. I just looked them up and man. Oh, let me geez, let me look like, them up. Yeah, look like too. some logger louts, you know. Yeah, man. Great twins. They look like ogres. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> they were sent away to the countryside in World War II as kids uh, because of the London bombings. And other than that, they lived their entire li- lives in uh, Bethnal Green in in the East End. Uh, they lived with their mom. And actually, their mom's house like remained like a hideout for their for their like criminal activity and shit. They would just like go and have tea and hang out <laughs> with their mom and just do all this criminal shit. I feel bad for the mom. Like that's gotta be the most well, rambunctious set of twins like ever. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well the 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 mom like just adored them and they loved her back. Like, like Oh okay. It was it's the it's the classic thing where it's like where you know you don't want to tell a hard man like uh oh your mom like your mom's like this or your mom's like that especially these guys like fuck man oh man i wouldn't say anything about their mom that's that's how that's like i don't know is it like selective bias but it seems like that's so often is the case where it's like these hardcore criminal like loves their mom yeah. or loves their parents and it's like they try to keep them away from all the bad things they do and it's like once i walk into this home i'm no longer i don't know big moose i'm just jimmy you know like that yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's so often it's the case like that to me i don't know it's funny because like uh with her like the the twins could do no wrong you know they were just like they're the best kids which like is they, it's just funny. Yeah, like they can mur- murder people, and they'd be like, "Oh, not my kids." Exactly, boys, my, you know? they will never do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, it's so frustrating. It's like you don't know yeah. your kids. <laughs> but, anyways, um, they were really big boxers as kids too, and like if you, yeah, you guys saw the pictures. Like they look like boxers. <laughs> yeah, it shows. And, um. They they like both did really well in the ring, um, and their brother Charlie uh, was also a big boxer. He was a lot older than them, but like he taught them how to box, and so they both became schoolboy champions for their region. Uh, and Reggie was like really close to to going pro. So Reggie is the more level headed one, and that was what they said about him in the ring. He was like pretty uh it was kind of like floyd mayweather you know he would just like wear the opponent down and then roddy who was the less level-headed one he was fucking nuts in the ring and uh he would like he want to kill you he he was out for blood when he was in the ring so yeah they they offered reggie to become pro uh but then his street life kept him from doing that uh, but Ronnie wouldn't go pro just because he was too much of a liability. Um, Reggie also had this thing where he would offer you a cig, like he'd offer you a cigarette, and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, thanks, Reggie," and then he'd pop you in the in the jaw and break your jaw. And that's like a funny joke. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. That's not <laughs> that's a funny a fuck, joke. That's a fucked that was, up joke. That was just like something he'd do like uh, to people that crossed him. He'd be like, yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. And, and he'd give you, uh, give you a sig and then bam, hit you right in the These jaw. guys, uh, they're all about the cheap shots, dude. Would he take sand out of his pocket and throw it in somebody's Pack eyes or something? Or... <laughs> and then punch him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, they were looked upon as, like, the good gangsters. Uh, oh, God. They're still actually, like, well-liked in the community to an extent, you know. It's kind of like Pablo, right? But uh, Just a com- couple of innocent lads. Yeah. <laughs> but but what they did was, like, they, they didn't, like, involve women or children, which was, like, the big thing back then uh if you were a civilian you were probably safe from them uh oh, okay. also they had this funny thing where uh they were called up to do their service like their military service they wanted to become like instructors like physical instructors at the like in their military and they're like yeah okay no you can't really do that and so uh I forget which one, but popped him in the jaw. <laughs> popped the the uh, like military recruiter in the jaw, and then uh, and then they both fucked off, left. And the next morning, they brought them both in, and they're like, "Well, you can't prove which one of us has done it because <laughs> they're identical twins." And that seemed to be something that like that they used quite a bit. Like that wasn't the only time they did that. That is actually awesome so <laughs> yeah yeah it was pretty funny but uh yeah eventually the the army just like didn't want to deal with them so they got dishonorably discharged they're like okay fuck this like, <laughs> we want nothing to do with these guys but you know they would have been useful in the army like they're big lads big and stupid yeah oh yeah sounds like they have an affinity in punching jaws as well Bricking jaws, that sounds like their their specialties. That's their go-to move. Yeah. <laughs> Suck a punch to the jaw. Oh, yeah. And their grandpa was also a bare-knuckle boxer. And his nickname was the Southpaw Cannonball Lee. That's... So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Ronnie was pretty openly bisexual slash homosexual um in the in the movie legend like it was made out that he was like just straight up gay but i think there was a lot more to that Hmm. and then they also make uh reggie look like he's totally straight but uh, i don't think that was the case either um from what i've read like they were both pretty bi and they had these massive orgies that were pretty wild (laughs) Like, these greasy old orgies. Um, (laughs) Who the fuck wants to be in an orgy with these two people? Well, I mean, like, it's a lot of power. You should... Okay, well, uh, if if you want to look up who they're in in orgies with, uh, look up Lord Boothby. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. What? Lord Boothby? Oh, wait. So, like, these orgies are, like, they involve, like, powerful people? Yeah, so that's how they got notoriety. Baron Boothby? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Yo. (laughs) 
who's just like some old man. Secretary yeah. to the Ministry of Food. He worked under yeah. Winston Churchill. The fuck? Yo, this is yeah, man. what? This is like like 20th century Epstein. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as that. But. Yeah, I just don't have a good, better, better comparison, I guess. But like, what? I thought they were just like I thought it was just like yeah. like randoms, Dude. like pedestrians, like normal no. orgies. Well, I mean, there's there's definitely randoms. But... Yeah, but I didn't know it was like like I that whoa. Baron Boothby. Wait, look at this. I was looking at his Wikipedia page. It says like it says the contents: sexual, law reform, personal life, sexuality. Uh, and the Cray Twins meeting with Hitler. Those are the contents <laughs> of his bio. <laughs> <laughs> fucking greasy guy. He looks really greasy too, yeah. with like the with the with the watch. Oh man. So they were uh there was like an expose on them uh in the Sunday mirror. And like although they didn't really name names, uh they kind of got notoriety and uh ronnie didn't really give a shit because like you know he was openly gay with his friends and stuff and you know like uh one of the one other um gangster called him a fat poof (laughs) (laughs) and he ended up killing him later Oh my god. So yeah. Um but other than that, like like it was it was this weird thing. And in the movie it's kind of funny. Like uh I, I couldn't find anything on like whether it was a top or whether it was a bottom. But in the movie <laughs> the movie there's a funny scene and he's like he's like, Okay, I, I don't wanna uh, should I say it? Yeah, it, well, whatever. He's like, I'm not a faggot. <laughs> 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 Yeah, he makes this distinction, which is pretty funny. It's like it's like a very like Roman thing. Um, yes, because he because he's the top. Yeah, yeah, being the top. Yeah, like really, it, uh, it's 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 this interesting like psychological thing where it's like yeah, mm-hmm. like I'm not gay in the stereotypical sense. I'm like I'm a, a big man who like I'm a dom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like that was like a lot of his identity, um, and they were just tough guys who you know happen to like to swing both ways <laughs> and uh also ronnie was certifiably insane the dude was a nutter like what i was talking about with the uh with the ring where he wanted to kill people yeah like he was he was just a loony and they um they paid off and intimidated the the psychiatrist that was that had kept him in the mental hospital uh, for a little while, and so Ronnie was released, which was not a good idea <laughs> at all, because he had uh, he had schizophrenia. Oh God! And there were points where he couldn't recognize himself in the mirror. Like people would come up to him, and he'd have no clue like who they were. Like he was like very very mentally ill. Jesus. You know, like it wasn't just like, oh yeah, the guy is a little crazy. <laughs> it's like, no, yeah. this guy, this guy's fucked, man. Like, this guy is he, clinically insane. He shouldn't be in the public. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so they they would they would set up like their protection rings where they would offer protections to clubs, and sometimes what they would do was they would get their boys 
to go into the clubs, start a ruckus. Like if if the club owner didn't accept, uh, <laughs> the yeah, you create the demand. Yeah, yeah, they create a ruckus and they come back and they'd be like, "Hey, man, like, seems like your club's kind of out of hand. Like all this shit's going on. <laughs> you really need our uh, our our protection." And like, yeah, so it ended up with them just <laughs> going from protecting the club, which. I mean, I guess they were doing, but... Yeah, it's protecting the club from themselves. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. And then, also, uh, they would start to, like, they gained ownership of clubs, uh, and actually rose pretty high. Uh, they were rolling in dough, and they um, they were friends with Frank Sinatra, <laughs> <laughs> gave him uh offered him protection as well like and they had they had this thing where they 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 really looked up to like american gangsters and you know like the the whole look like you you'd always see them in in nice suits and like they demanded respect from everyone in the they, streets they wanted to like be that. like lucky luciano and people like that yeah yeah exactly um Mobsters. Yeah. So and and they ran their they ran their uh their turf like that was it you know they it's just that that little bit in East London. Well, yeah, they also expanded, and uh, that's where they would run into some trouble. Yeah, Ronnie Cray killed George Cornell, who was part of uh, the Richardson's gang, who's also fucked. They were called the Torture Gang. Oh, Jesus Christ. Christ. Fuck. That name. And they would find, like, uh, like whoever crossed their paths, they would find them and just torture the shit out of them. Like, yeah. some psychopathic shit. And then send them back and be like, yeah, uh, <laughs> this is what happens when you mess with us. Yeah. Oh my god. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting stuff. <laughs> they they killed they killed the Richardson or uh one of the Richardson's members, George Cornell, uh and that was Ronnie. And then uh they also killed Jack McVitie and his nickname was The Hat. <laughs> and he was also like part of the Cray gang, but he said something about Reggie's wife, Francis, who had committed suicide four months earlier. And this was after a long marriage. And I mean, the movie goes into it really deeply, but yeah, um, he, yeah, he neglected her and it was not a very happy marriage. And she was on like mother's little helpers all the time, like the pills. Yeah. So yeah, he stabbed the shit out of Jack the Hat. And then after they got arrested and yeah, so they got thrown in jail in 1969. They're uh, imprisoned for life for both the murders that just kind of popped up. Like they took this opportunity to slam them both in and that's where they would remain. Um, They would stay in prison until they died. They were let out for their mom's funeral. Oh, of course. (laughs) Which, I mean, yeah, that's, I guess that's good yeah, for them. Yeah. And Ronnie, who is the insane one, he kept deteriorating and he was like permanently placed into a mental hospital or like a mental hospital prison uh, and really never 
got much better. Uh, I think like he would go in and out of psychosis, as far as I <sighs> can tell. Like it was, it was it. As much as these guys are like fucked up and really not good people at all, um, that is kind of sad. Or yeah. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. And then. For sure. You know, like the other thing that uh, that you have to take into account is like, like when we're talking about the way that they're seen, like everyone in the East End, because it was a poor neighborhood, they all hated the cops, right? And like really mistrusted the cops. And same with the, the craze, they, they fucking hated coppers and were like openly against them. So because they were like so anti-cop, they they got treated well and i think that like goes for a lot of gangsters where it's like in working class places and they're just like even though they're fucked and really not good they're like so anti authority that people love them well they're like local celebrities know. kind of yeah you know? and if as long as they treat the people in their community well like what do they care like you said like it seems like if you're if you're uh like if you're civilians if you're just not like you if you're not you know hoping to die just doing your own thing like they're not gonna bother you yeah yeah exactly like unless you blow up a fucking commercial airline with civilians <laughs> in it <laughs> yeah exactly uh so yeah that's that's where they died um they both died in the late 90s but what's interesting is i was reading this book by tony thompson it's called gangs and he was saying that uh like in prison they still kind of ran shit like more reggie because ronnie was just nutso <laughs> but they still ran shit uh and people would pay to get into the firm which was like the name of the gang they ran because they're like oh yeah i want to join the firm i want to join the firm and they'd be like okay well you can join the firm but, you know, you have to, like, you have to give us a cut. And so, yeah, like, the firm kept going, even though they're in prison. Hmm. It sounds like they were, like, franchising. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like... It's like, you can use our name. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically. Like, you, you can use our name, our business model, our method, and you have to give us a cut. Like, it's really smart, though. Like, and there is, like they're still raking in money. But, yeah, like, damn, man. Yeah, if you have a winning idea. Keep it going. <laughs> well, that's the end of the Cray Twins. <laughs> so the person I'm talking I'm gonna talk about is Benjamin Siegel or nicknamed Bugsy Siegel. Ooh, cool. Do you guys know him? Have heard of him? Heard yeah, of I've him? heard of him. I have I've never like uh learned that much about him. But he was he was uh one of those like like uh there's a lot of Jewish gangs. And yeah. he was one of the main ones, right? Yeah, yeah. Like Frank Rosenthal? Do you mention him at all? Or No. Uh, and Lansky? Like, what's his name? Lansky? Lansky. Meyer yeah. Lansky? My, Meyer, Meyer Lansky, Lansky, yeah. There are just a lot of characters, so I have to cut some of the minor characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are just yeah, so many people. No doubt. So, yeah, uh... Bugsy Siegel, he was an American mobster associated with a Jewish mob and later the Italian-American mafia and then later the National Crime Syndicate. So with that kind of resume and association, like I said, there are just going to be a lot of characters. So some of the people, I'm just not going to mention them by name because the story is confusing as is. So he was born in 1906, the son of a uh, of Jewish immigrants. 
Benjamin Siegel, he was raised in this crime-ridden part of uh, uh of Brooklyn, in New York, and from a young age he was already involved in crime activity. The reason why I ask if Pablo Escobar did legal thing first is because uh, Bugsy Siegel didn't bother with legal stuff. He went straight into doing illegal stuff. It's like first like theft, that kind of stuff. And then eventually he started doing a protection ring. Like he would go up to a push cart peddler and tell them they need to pay him for protection. And when they, when they ask, well, protection from what? Bugsy Siegel would threaten to pour kerosene on pushcart and set on fire. <laughs> protection from that, motherfucker. Yeah, protection from me, like making it clear. <laughs> it was also during his youth where he had met some like other notable future mobsters. So there's Mo Setway, who would later become a prominent lieutenant in the Jewish mob, and Mayalansky, who later got the nickname the mob's accountant because of Ooh. his involvement in set yeah that's like i love freaking nicknames man like chess world have a lot of nicknames and then like the mafia world also got a lot of nicknames and it's just so fun these nicknames um yeah and and, and the nickname the mob's accountant because he was involved in just setting up a lot of, like the mob's like businesses um i should probably first talk about uh seal's nickname bugsy yeah. It just came from the fact that Siegel, like Bugsy Siegel was erratic, violent, and just all around a crazy person. And apparently Bugs was a slang term for crazy. And that's about Ooh. that's that's all there is. Siegel didn't like the la- uh, didn't like the nickname and nobody would call that in front of him. Like he would prefer to be called Ben or Mr. Siegel. Um <laughs> but I'm just gonna call him Bugsy for the whole thing. Well Bugsy's like that's a fun name. Like I like it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like it too. It's like, why yeah. does he not like it? It's, I don't know why he gets so upset about it. <laughs> he demands respect. Well, most of these guys have fragile egos as well. So yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, Bugsy Siegel and Mylansky had a mob together around this time, like around the time uh, during the twenties and early thirties, called the Bucks and Meyer Mob. And they did what most mob did, so like bootlegging, gambling, car theft, protection racketeering, this kind of stuff. Uh, but they did one thing better than most mobs, and it's killing. They quickly became the mob, like the mobsters to hire when it comes to killing. And this was like the precursor to Murder Inc., which is an enforcement arm of the italian-american mafia yeah i've heard of murder murder inc yeah Mylansky didn't didn't enjoy the violence uh he he was all he was like the brain side of operation he usually delegate all the dirty work away so yeah he was considered the brain and bugsy siegel was the brawn and also bugsy siegel likes this shit like he he likes violence and stuff like that yeah it's weird like these characters that are just like cynical bastards and they and they love killing you know like or they love torturing and they're just they're just like fucked up humans yeah yeah they you know they seem like people in like a different scenario that would just become like serial killers or something yeah. but since they're in yeah. organized crime there's people that will like tolerate them and be like oh he's not that bad right yeah yeah right. he's not that crazy 
Yeah. Yeah, or or it's like he is crazy. That's why we keep him as like our special weapon, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. he's crazy, so he 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 does the killing, that kind of thing. It's like it's an asset to them to have a crazy person because that person wouldn't feel anything when it comes to killing. Like they just enjoy it. It's like that's good. We don't want someone coming back with PTSD. I wonder if, right. like, in a different timeline, Jeffrey Dahmer would have become, like, a mafia hitman or some, <laughs> some shit. Who's that? I, well, but Jeffrey I, Dahmer? I, I, oh, dude, have you not seen the the new, like, Dahmer series on Netflix? No. He's I'm... just, uh, he's an American serial killer. It's, like, oh. pretty fucked. Fucked. Like, yeah. really fucked. Um, but, yeah, like, I watched the first episode, and it's it's disturbing but i also think that like the main difference between like serial killers and gangsters who a lot of them i mean are serial killers but then they're like killing other gangsters not civilians which is uh i guess like somehow (laughs) redeemable but i think like the main difference is is they're like socially gifted yes like all these guys like know how to be very sociable and they're not like like I don't, most of them aren't outcasts, from what I can tell, hmm. you know, and they're just like they're they're crazy, but they're also like like they make enough friends to well, get into likeable. business. Yeah, 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 they're likable. Yeah, people can like tolerate them, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like it's like he's not crazy. Look at him saying karaoke like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Singing karaoke. That's a great, <laughs> the most random example, but I love it. <laughs> Look at him singing Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, he's, oh he's yeah, a good guy. <laughs> yeah. You don't see serial killers hanging out with celebrities. Yeah, no, no, no. Serial killers are yeah. like I don't know, because then I'm thinking about like people like Ted Bundy, right? Yeah, it's also very yeah, charming, true. very likable. But it's not the same way. It's like, oh, this is yeah, just another person yeah. like that. It's more like that. It's like because yeah. they're like straight up like proper psychopath, like actual, yeah. actual psychopath. Should we do a serial killer episode? Let's do some like upbeat shit after this. Yeah, episode. maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe upbeat before we do serial <laughs> killer. We, we, exactly. Well, like we'll do it eventually, maybe. But we always say upbeat, and then the next one is like. Yeah, about dogs dying or something like fuck. Yeah, what about dogs dying? Which episode was that? No, no, fuck. <laughs> no, I was just saying, like, like it's yeah. it's dark. Yes, always ends true. up dark. But whatever. Okay, so skipping to 1929. By now, the Bucks and Meyer mob had worked and provided service to other mobs in uh, in New York City and that includes one Charlie Lucky Luciano. Hey. Like I didn't really know much about mafia and mobs until I really started researching for this episode and Lucky Luciano and Al Capone were the only two American mobster that I know like a little bit about, like I heard of at least. Anyways, like so in my mind Lucky Luciano is like the the top dog in America. So, yeah, um Lucky Luciano, at this point, was an up-and-coming mobster in the Italian mob. And all the mob-related violence happening around the country at that point, like around 1929, it was just attracting way too much attention from law enforcement, from media, and it was bad. So Meyer Lansky and Lucky Luciano held a conference in Atlantic City, inviting 
American mobster all over the country to sit down and sort this shit out. So everybody was there. Um, the Atlantic City That's mob. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Like this is the first one. Like this is the first uh, crime summit. Um, mm. Man, could you imagine how much cigar smoke was in there? <laughs> in that yeah, room, dude. You could just you would be able to see across the table. Like, <laughs> yeah, just guys going like, "Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, pass the gabagool." <laughs> Fat clouds everywhere. Yeah. So yeah, like everybody was there. The Atlantic City mob was there. Capone was there to represent Chicago. The Philadelphia mob was there. Cleveland, Detroit, Kansas City, Florida. Everybody was there. And of course, New York as well. Uh, it was represented by lieutenants from different crime family. And of course, Meyer Lansky and Bugsy Siegel representing the interest of Bugs and Meyer mob. So the main takeaway of this conference was that gang wars are bad for business. On Capone's part, he said he was willing to live and let live and stop all the warring. But of course, this is literally after he just crushed his rival mobs in Chicago. And Capone's mob being the only one present in the conference made it clear to you know, everybody attending that uh, Chicago was Capone's and, the fu- and future gang wars were unlikely. Mm. But that's not the case with New York. At that time, there were still a lot of crime families fighting over dominance for the for territories, and the idea of boss of all bosses was still in the minds of the old guards. And the old guards were uh, uh, people that came from Sicily as an adult. Like Lucky Luciano, uh, like came to America from Sicily as a child, and the old guards were people who came to America as an adult in the early twentieth century. So the two mob bosses that were fighting for the title uh, were Giuseppe Mazzara. Mm, I, I practiced this. Giuseppe <laughs> Mazzaria and Salvatore Marzano. <laughs> I'm going to say, uh, yeah, I make sure that I can say these names, man. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. The, that, that's the, impressive. The, the two, <laughs> thank you. The two, yeah, the two mob bosses that were fighting for the title were Giuseppe Masseria and Salvatore Marzano. And they won't stop until one of them is dead. Uh, the conference concluded that, like with the understanding that the old guards need to die out before changes could take place. Because they also had like other conclusion. It's like, why are we not working with people that is like different ethnicity? It's like, why do we divide things up to like italian and jewish when we can all make money together yeah that kind of thing so like super trivial true but basically they've concluded that you know these old guards need to die basically um and that's exactly what happened two years later in april 1931 giuseppe Masseria was gunned down by four people betrayed by his own lieutenant lucky luciano lucky luciano actually worked for him when he was like hosting the conference and it was said that Bugsy Siegel was one of the four person that uh, one of the four people that gunned him down. And then a few months later, Salvatore Marzano was also assassinated as well. So now, finally, Lucky Luciano formed the commission in New York City. So the commission is like the, the name of the organization. When you said, what's the name of the of the Cray Twins gang? The, the firm. 
yeah, the firm. It's like well, these people, they they must think they're so fucking funny when they come up with these names. Like, <laughs> oh, I work at the commission. It's like I work at the firm. <laughs> um. So yeah, instead of having decision made by these like boss of all bosses, decision are now made collectively by the commission. It's a collective interest, and with Lucky Luciano being the first chairman, and it was around this point. That uh, the Bucks and Meyer mob was dissolved. Meyer Lansky would go on to work closely with all the mobsters, like just helping them to set up set up businesses that you know set up profitable businesses. And Bugsy Siegel would run Murder Inc. Mm. So yeah, like Bugsy was doing what he did best, and for a few years he was like the main man for killing for uh, uh, Lucky Luciano. Like he was like the top lieutenant, and eventually he. Uh, gathered too much notoriety, I guess, uh, and rival gangs wants to take him down. And uh, a bomb was dropped into his home in New York City, fire a chimney, and uh, somehow he didn't die. And so now he was going to take down those people who tried to kill him. He did that, but he did it in broad daylight, and the actual killing of the two people was witnessed by pedestrian. Like, people actually saw him kill. So, it, it was not good. It was not good, and Lucky Luciano knew that uh, uh, Bugsy Siegel was getting too hot and decided to send him away to California to lay low and also had him expand operation to the West Coast. You know, if I didn't tell you this story was about Bugsy Siegel, you probably didn't know this story was about Bugsy Siegel because I talked about so many other people. But now... It's actually about Bugsy Siegel. He's in Los Angeles, and he was loving it. Like, because he was that, like, charming, cool, likable, well-dressed guy that Seth, you were talking about earlier. Like, all the celebrities loved him. Yeah, yeah. And he loved Hollywood as well. So, money, drugs, uh, sex. Like, he had it all. He, He was, I heard it described in a documentary, he was... The most alphas of all alpha male. Hmm. And he made friends with, like, actors, movie execs, uh, like, high society celebrities and this and that. He would eventually fall in love and have this on-and-off relationship with uh, actress Virginia Hill. During this time when he was in Los Angeles, it's like, like, a lot of, like, I don't know, colorful events was happening. Um... Of course, like, there are the usual illegal activities, like gambling, uh, you know, the usual stuff. But Bugsy Siegel thought he came across a genuine treasure map. So so he set sail with his Hollywood celebrity friends. And these are, like, famous people that, I don't know. (laughs) Wait, wait, sorry. Set sail? Yeah, because it's in Costa Rica. (laughs) What the hell? So he sees he sees an alleged map and he's like, "Oh, let's just set sail and check it out." Yeah, he he thought it's genuine. Like he thought it's a genuine treasure map. So he like went oh like like chartered a chartered a boat with his like celebrities friends and got bombs and blow a bunch of stuff in Costa Rica and be like, "There's nothing here." Um, <laughs> he he didn't. So yeah, he didn't find any treasure. And apparently, I don't know this. This seems a bit too crazy to me. Uh, apparently, he also tried to sell explosives to Mussolini, and apparently, I'm saying all these apparently because I'm a bit dubious about all this stuff. Uh, apparently, during a demonstration in 1939 in front of Mussolini's and Nazi leaders 
including Hermann Göring, <laughs> Siegel failed to detonate the explosives and the deal didn't go through. And apparently he hated Göring so much he wanted to shoot him like in person right then and there. Obviously he was talked down to not do that. But I don't think, I don't know, I somehow feel like this is a bit too much. <laughs> um, anyways, so yeah. He had like crazy colorful event activities, all these encounters when he was in when he was in um Los Angeles. Uh eventually he started looking to Nevada because Nevada recently just legalized gambling. Uh he looked at Nevada and see if there's any business opportunity there. So he went to Las Vegas and saw I don't know, people like to people say He's the father of Las Vegas, and people like to say that he was the first person to start a casino. It's like, no, there were casinos there already. It's just not the way that Siegel did it. Um, Siegel established the idea that it's professionally dressed, like servers are wearing tuxedo, all these kind of like luxurious casino and hotel. He came up with that idea, but he didn't like start the first casino in Las Vegas. Anyways, uh, so yeah, and... Early 1946, he bought the Flamingo Hotel and convinced the mob back east to finance the construction. It was estimated to cost between 1.2 to 1.5 million, but it ended up costing about 6 million <laughs> due to poor management, Siegel's inexperience, like like constructor would con him and double charge him a lot of stuff. But mostly it's because Siegel was heavily skimming the top, like skimming money off the top, which is things that you don't do you don't steal from the mob mm. and he would learn that lesson later um at this point virginia hill you know an established actress in her own right but also a trusted mob associate she could be trusted to transfer money but eventually it was suspected that she was taking money out of the country to europe for to hide it for bugsy siegel because of her frequent visit to Switzerland. So the mob, like, again, a lot of these stuff is not 100%, because a lot of it's, like, mob legends. And apparently, basically, the mob shake her down, which I don't even I don't even feel like I can 100% trust that the mob, like, kind of, like, forced her to betray um, Bugsy's eagle. But yeah, anyways, so the Flamingo Hotel had its grand opening on December of uh, 1946. But the hotel... Uh, wasn't done. It was only the casino that was done. And it happened to rain that day, so a lot of people just didn't show up. And it's just kind of unlucky as well because uh, people won a bunch of money on the opening day, and there was no hotel. So what are they going to do? They just leave and go somewhere else. <laughs> like So they just go in, win a bunch of money, and left. And for the first two weeks, the business lost another $300,000. So it was already $4.5 million over the budget. And then he lost another $300,000 in the first, three, uh, first two weeks. So Siegel closed down the casino until the hotel was done and reopened it in March 1947. At the same time, during 1946, when all the money was being burned by Siegel, at the same time, there's another mob summit, another crime summit, uh, a conference that was held in Havana in 1946 because uh, Lucky Luciano was arrested earlier and uh, part of his parole deal was that he was going to be deported back to Italy and was never allowed to come back to America. And 
in this conference, one one of the one of the item on the on the agenda is the seagull situation, because Bugsy Seagull is spending lots of money and also stealing from the mob. At least they suspect. Mary Lansky Seagull's childhood friend was saying good words for Seagull. They tell him like to, oh, like wait a bit longer to see if 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 it was gonna make a profit and this and that. Uh, so they did. They did that. They waited a bit longer, and Seagull actually turn a profit with this business after the reopen in March, like after the freaking hotel is done, not just the casino. But basically, they decided that it wasn't enough to justify that he was stealing. So uh, they order a hit on him, and it was in 1947, June of 20th, 1947. He left his. Office in the Flamingo Hotel to visit Virginia Hill back in Las Vegas,、uh, Los Angeles, because his office, like the Flamingo, was a fortress. Like you can't get him in the Flamingo; you have to get him somewhere else.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, he was reading a newspaper in, in in the living room, and then it was like nine shots fired, two hit him in the head and two hit in the body. But I don't know; I'm not too interested about the detail of his death. Like he died, and it's probably <laughs> the mob that got him. Like nobody, like we don't know exactly. How he died, like who killed、yeah. him, but, but it was would, probably the mob. Yeah, I mean, to kill him in that fashion just seems like very mob.、Mm-hmm. Uh, his funeral was not like Pablo Escobar's funeral. Only five people showed up, and the entire、hmm. ceremony was finished in ten minutes because because it was a mob's hit. Like, so you don't want to be seen as associated with somebody that the mob had killed because you might be next. Um. And Virginia Hill stayed in Europe basically for the rest of her life, and、uh, yeah, that's the story of Bugsy Siegel. Nice. I liked all the、uh, surrounding background stuff more. <laughs> I, the, the more I read and the more I write, like the research, I'm just like, I feel like I I I don't really care about Bugsy Siegel, but like <laughs> all the like the commission, the 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 board, like the gang,、uh, you know, like all these kind of background、yeah. stories was more interesting to me. All the names are so great too. Well, even that, like、mm-hmm. they held congresses and stuff where the different groups would meet up. Yeah, and figure like that's just crazy to me. Hmm. It's like let's let's figure this out, like like gentlemen. <laughs> it's like yeah. <laughs> like sit this down and get the calculator out. It's like what? what yeah, is- <laughs> let's be civil about this, guys. <laughs> All right, fellas. <laughs> to to a point, they just realized that the old way of doing things was not good for business. Maybe it was more romantic.、Yeah. All the killing, but it's not making. Well, that is、money. that is like one thing that's so cool about gangsters is it's just like. It is a business at the end of the day, and it's run like any other business,、mm-hmm. except you know they don't pa- pay taxes and they have all this shit that they have to look、uh, that they have to like look over their shoulders for.、Yeah. But at the end, at the end of the day, they're the same, really. Like they're selfish,、mm-hmm. they're crazy. Well, that was a good episode.、Uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, I, I enjoyed. Yeah, I always enjoy gangs and that kind of stuff. What does this say about us? We just like talking about some dark shit, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that, I suppose that has become the thing that we do now. <laughs> Talk about dark yeah, shit. The dark shallow dive. Yeah. Even though it's a shallow dive, you're getting into the depths of the darkness. Yeah. To the deep end. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> very, very well said. All right, fellas. All right. Well, I have to finish my story. To all listeners, I'm writing a story about、uh, the 
over or understaffed cafeteria at my college, which is extremely <laughs> exciting. Well, now that you've teased it, you gotta you gotta have a follow up next episode. Very pressing and hard hitting news. So we gotta hear the conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we know we're gonna wrap this up, man. Like busy journalists at work here. <laughs> well, once yeah. I once I take down uh once I take down the government, then I'll uh I'll get back to you guys <laughs> through this story. Sounds good. <laughs> Not right. All right. How do we do outro again? See you next time. Did we just say bye? Thanks for listening. Shallow dive. Bye. <laughs> bye.